What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Everyday Sense Podcast. We got another pregame edition here for the people. I'm Jack Richardson, joined as always by Brendan Parks to preview the New York Rangers visiting the Ottawa Senators. Rangers are on a tear. We'll get into all of that. So, Brendan, how are you doing today? It's Tuesday, December 5th, Ottawa Senators game day. Yeah, I'm doing good. I mean, I'm doing a lot better because they won against Seattle uh, the other night. So that was good. Finally got past uh, a rough little stretch of games and we got a a uh, 2 nothing victory shutout, first shutout of the season. Anton Forsberg came through um, and he's starting again tonight. So Seattle, I mean, beating them is one thing, right? That's uh, that, that was a team that was, I think, 8, 10, and 6 uh, coming into that game. So 8, 11, and 6 now. Tonight, you've got New York, who's lost like 5 of 23 games this season, which is insane. Uh, this is going to be a true test, so we're going to dive into that. Um Again, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We've got some viewers and we've got some chats already. Uh, some really good engagement in the last one, too. I know a lot of people were enjoying kind of the venting atmosphere. That's what we did with the last live. We, we kind of let our frustrations out. We got everybody in the chat letting their frustrations out. Uh, a little more positive tonight. But again, the Sens are still 9 and 10 on the season. So we've got... Uh, We've got some work to do on the ice, I think. And then we've also got some stuff we can talk about off the ice with Michael Delzato did an interview today. I know Michael Anlauer did some, he talked about some stuff with the Sens and how, you know, DJ Smith's job and, and his thoughts on that. So we can dive into all of it, but let's just get going here. Uh, we've got just about just under one hour until puck drop in uh, in Ottawa. Yeah. So again, if people are watching, if people are watching on Twitter, because we are live on Twitter or X and YouTube as well, both platforms, if you would like to comment along, which we encourage and the YouTube goes a long way to support us uh, as a podcast and everything and support the page. So if you would like to comment along, you have to head over to the YouTube, um, a bit more engaging there. Uh, yeah. So, so we can get into the Rangers and obviously I mentioned the Rangers are a wagon. I got the record there at the bottom of the screen. They're 18, four and one, one of the best teams in the NHL. They just keep humming. We'll get into all of that, but like you mentioned, obviously some things to mention about the Ottawa Senators. Ridley Gregg back in the lineup. There's two two sides of the injury card here that we got tonight. We got Ridley Gregg coming back after a 10-game absence. We'll break down what his uh, return means for the team and for the forward core. Third line looks a lot better now. And then obviously Thomas Shabbat will not be playing tonight. MRI, MRI being done after what was arguably one of his best games of the season. An absolute downer i i think so what do you want to start with we can start with greg let's start on the positive note here um mr ridley greg back in the lineup a rookie this season was up there for the calder early on this season he was one of the best rookies in the league and then obviously went down against the los angeles kings 10 games ago so it's weird because they haven't played so many games um 10 games doesn't seem like that long of a time but he's been out for just about a month now so uh what are your thoughts on greg returning to the lineup i believe he's going to line up beside dominic kubalik and matthew joseph it looks like tonight so uh give me your thoughts on that line and we'll we'll get into like seattle that game when we talk more about shabbat i think yeah, so Greg, Greg, I think coming back is one of the biggest things that could have happened for this team. Uh, I know, obviously, yeah, he was up there for the Calder discussions, and, and people, you know, when they're rookie players, they kind of overlook rookies, and they think they're not that impactful. But Greg was one of Ottawa's most impactful players. I think I'm even going to do an article on it just because, like, when you look at the metrics, and again, I love metrics. I know a lot of people don't necessarily love the numbers, but uh, Greg led the sends in, like, almost every single metric. Like, he was up there, especially defensively. That was the big thing. He was a very net positive player on the defensive side of things. Uh, I had his stats up. So he was a plus nine, plus nine, I believe, uh, something like that. He was on the ice for 10 goals, four at 5v5 and one against a 5v5, which is like, 
you can't really dispute that. Like, even if you don't love numbers, like when you talk about being on the ice for 10 goals and then one against, like that's a big difference, right? Like that is a very net positive player. Uh, so I think Greg, obviously just defensively is the big thing because the team is so bad defensively like they've been so uh they've struggled so much in the defensive zone that i think getting greg back obviously as a centerman that's one of his priorities um it's going to help out a lot the other thing is just kind of what it does. It's like uh, addition by subtraction almost. So Rourke Chartier, right? Like we, we've talked with him a little bit. Uh, he's been good defensively, honestly. I've been happy with Chartier's impact on that side, but he brings nothing offensively. Like he, you could hand him the puck on a breakaway with nobody within 10 feet of him and he somehow wouldn't get a shot on net. Like he's just brings literally nothing to the offensive zone. Uh, so getting Greg back, I think that's going to be a big thing because that third line, I mean, Tarasenko and Kubalik have been stapled to Chartier for the last little bit. And I mean, big surprise they haven't produced anything like that Chartier is just kind of like a killer offensively um and so that makes him a good fourth line center but I think getting Greg back that's going to really help Kubalik it's going to help it's going to be that addition by subtraction like I said uh and obviously Tarasenko bumps up because him Stutzla and, and um and Batherson looked great last game they scored a goal and looked really good so they're on the line now um but I think that just bringing Greg in it's going to help the line mates Kubalik's been very quiet like he's done nothing of note in the last like two weeks like he's just been dead silent so uh, hopefully greg coming back is going to help that but again center in my mind is i don't want to say i'm going to say arguably the most important position in hockey it's very important to have depth every stanley cup champion has a strong top six center core but they have strong depth as well um very important so when you have a guy who you know he's 26 years old and has never held an nhl role consistently and you have him playing in a third line center role that's not ideal, right? That's really hard to win when you have those situations. So having Greg back, and again, we should limit our expectations, a high ankle sprain, obviously low grade, but that's nothing to be, you know, like you can't expect Greg to come back and be the same player necessarily because high ankle sprain is what Batherson had too. It was just a much worse injury. It's a hard thing to come back from. I guess it's one of the worst injuries. I've never had it, but people have said it's one of the worst injuries you can get to recover from. So considering Greg only missed what, like a month, not even, um, like I, I don't think it was that serious, but still, Need to temper our expectations. I do think, though, regardless, having him as that third-line center is going to be huge. And by the way, Shane Pinto, I want to say there's another month, like less than two months now until Pinto can return, until he's eligible. So when you get him and Greg back, this lineup's going to look a lot different. People kind of undervalue depth. They're two depth players, but at the same time, like... Ridley Greg, man, he's very important to this team. He proved that through the first stretch of games this year. He was a big contributor in their first kind of opening four games there where they played pretty well. So I'm excited to have him back. Uh, I think he's going to kind of tidy things up defensively, but he's going to really, really impact Kubalik. And I think Joseph, too. He looked great with Joseph earlier in the year, but I think Kubalik's going to be the biggest kind of uh, benefactor of Ridley Greg coming back. Well, I mean, Joseph, Joseph's been one of their best players, period. So like whoever he's playing with is going to benefit the way he's going right now. Um, it's funny you mentioned Pinto's back in about a month and a half but it's still he still hasn't even served half of his suspension they've played 19 games 20 20 or 21 i guess would be the the exact split so like this will mark the halfway point of his suspension essentially tonight or halfway through the next game if you want to nitpick numbers but it's crazy when you think about it like that so yeah in terms of days it's very close but games wise we're not even halfway there yet so um it, it, we'll, we'll table that because that's going to be a discussion what do you sign him to when can he get going how good is he when he comes back like that's going to be a whole thing uh to, to unpack but in terms of Ridley Greg man I'm, I'm stoked he was my like I don't want to say I, I think I say it all the time he's my favorite player on the team I've got like five guys who are my favorite player on the Sens right now but um coming up before this season he was easily my favorite prospect I think outside of the top guys and like Stutzla Sanderson he was the guy it's just exciting man like at the world juniors a couple of years ago um what he did in Brandon what he did in Belleville when he was there for a short time like he's exciting in the way that um 
maybe a way that like Sanderson is right where the offense, he didn't really, you weren't expecting it. He was touted as this gritty guy who's going to get in the opponent's face. And we've seen way more of that this year. Obviously the big hit on Debrinket that really changed the <laughs> tone of the season for the Sens, unfortunately, but um, like it was a great clean hit, like stuff like that is what they've been missing. I think uh, just a little bit of bite and, it, it sounds weird to say that for a team like the Ottawa Senators led by Brady Kachuk with a bunch of tough guys, essentially, or actually, I, I don't even know. I mean, again, that's another discussion, like what the, the Sens toughness is like. We talked about it last episode in the Florida game. Like, was it embarrassing? Was it a good sign that they were, were just dropping the mitts all the time? But um, a guy like Ridley Gregg is just going to give you that extra punch. I like what you mentioned about Rourke Chartier, like not bad by any means, but just playing above his uh, I don't want to say pay grade, but he, he's not, he's not a third line center in the NHL and that's fine. I li- I really do think he's been an okay fourth line guy though. Um, with, with whatever combination they go with, I don't know if they're going 11 and seven tonight. I guess we'll find out in the next little bit here, but um, yeah. So, so to me, uh, this is, this is a boost and, and we will talk about Shabbat here now, but um, for the forwards alone, which the amount of line shuffling, we talked about that as well before the last game against Seattle, like the, the line juggling alone, can be frustrating. And I think a lot of that was due to the lack of center depth that they had. Right. So um, they played what, maybe three, four games with, with Stutzla, Norris and Greg down the middle. Um, so looking, hopefully fingers crossed, obviously you never know what can happen, but let's hope with this gauntlet of a schedule coming up uh, that they can maintain this core uh, center wise. It's still very young. Greg is a rookie. Stutzla is 21. Norris is 23, but all three guys just give you something at even strength uh that that and like you mentioned i think center ice is absolutely the most important especially on this team we've talked about their defensive zone the wingers don't play a ton of defense or haven't really so far other than matthew joseph obviously uh but when the centers when when the wingers don't it puts that much more pressure on the sends so uh, on the centers i should say so i'm really looking forward to seeing what greg looks like i'm not too concerned because it was a low grade and high ankle sprain i don't think it'll be like drake batherson's uh, Batherson was out for, for much longer, I believe. Um, or he, maybe, maybe he wasn't, I don't, I don't really remember how long I think he did come back. I know he came back that season, but, uh, I, be, I feel like it was longer than Greg missed. Uh, but it well, might not be. And maybe we'll yeah, see if that affects Batherson's him. was from there and Delhi wasn't it? Well, so it was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was but, months and months, wasn't it? Well, it felt like it because they played so many games, I think. But True. like I, like I said with Greg, like he missed 10 games, but he still missed, a, a month like i think that might be the similar timeline to batherson i could be wrong maybe someone wants to let us know in the chat how long batherson missed in terms of days not games um but regardless regardless he probably isn't a super 100 percent. but greg isn't like skating isn't his his strong suit right it's not like it's joseph or stutzler or, or whoever who uh who injured their leg here like greg's game is to just be a positional player and, and it's really what, what he's done with the puck on his stick. It's not really his, his skating that's impressed me so far. So I'm not really nervous about him coming back from that. Let's go to the other side of the injury news. Thomas Shabbat. This sucks. This sucks. Uh, he had a great game on Saturday, which we will touch on. But uh, I forgot to put up the thing here. So Shabbat is out again. He came back for two games. Two games after he missed 10, just like Greg did. He missed 10 with a broken hand. Completely unrelated injury. It looks like his knee or something. He did miss time on saturday he came out of the game then came back continued to dominate um this sucks man like i i was just i don't want to say i was just coming around on thomas shabbat but he was pretty polarizing last season it was starting to go that way this year and then you pointed out the numbers when he's in the lineup versus out of the lineup how their team just like the team defense the puck possession everything is just better with shabbat and 
he's been injured a lot before and he's never played a full season, which we should note. Uh, but with Shabbat, I think in years past when he gets injured, personally, I didn't really see a huge drop off in the way the team was playing. It was more like, oh, we've got Chicker, we've got Brandstrom to run the power play, we've got Sanderson coming up now. This was the first stretch of games, the 10 games, where you could re- like legitimately see the absence of Thomas Shabbat. And it was so it was so obvious. Um, and when he came back, like Seattle, like it was, it was a great game for the Sens, which we'll touch on as well, but, um, it, it, it hurts because they just, it feels like they just got comfortable with those pairings maybe even. And like, um, so we'll see what the results are. Maybe it's not too serious, but it doesn't bode well that he's, you know, not skating at all and waiting for results on an MRI. Well, he came back last game too. Like he, he was out, he got hurt and then he came back. And, and so it was a sigh of relief. He was like, at the end of the game, they did the stick raises. There's even pictures of him. He, he's got a stick up. He was still out there. It seemed like it was a, a small thing. Uh, and then it turns out that it might be more serious. I would assume like my, my positive side is saying, and maybe because he came back, we can expect that he won't miss serious time. Uh, just because like, it would have been pretty hard for him to return and play the rest of the game if he had something like really serious but uh whatever it is he'll probably miss at least a couple of games so uh it is terrible because yeah i mean shabbat i I put together an article and and i had you know the numbers with and without and it was just basically i mean don't get me wrong ottawa still wasn't perfect with him in the lineup but like their numbers plummeted in every way like every single number went down by a significant margin the only one that stayed even close to where it was um for the games that he missed compared to the ones that he was in was actual goals for, which is the one spot where Ottawa's, you know, done well this year. And even that fell from second in the league to seventh in the league. Like it all regressed and they were bottom five in like every metric without him. So I think the biggest thing with Shabbat is possession. Like they, they just are a better team. They break out better. They, they go through the neutral zone better. Like he plays heavy minutes. So he's on a lot and he's someone who actually is good with the puck. Um, I know people don't love his turnovers and that happens, but like realistically, when you look at the grand scheme of things, turnovers are a lot easier to notice than a beautiful breakout pass, for example. So he does make a lot of good plays. He is a very good player. Um, So yeah, having him out sucks. It's more of the fact that like now Travis Hamannick is paired with Jacob Chikrin tonight. Like Travis Hamannick has been a real bad player and uh, we love Hamannick, but like not on the ice. We don't because last game Hamannick actually only played five minutes and 16 seconds all at 5v5. Like Ottawa dominated that game pretty handedly, but when Hamannick was on the ice for those five minutes, they were outshot shot attempts. Sorry, were eleven to four for Seattle. And that was like the only time when when they got you know outchanced by the other teams. So Hamannick just he's not the player he was in his prime, and he he really has been a liability. So to have him now, you know, like you can say Shabbat being out sucks, but it's more so that now you've got to play these other players. Even Bernard Docker, I like how JBD's played, but like is he a free? Like he's playing with Sanderson tonight. Is he a first pairing defenseman that's capable of those 20 plus minutes? Like, I don't know. That's a pretty nervous situation. So now you've kind of got the situation where you have to play these depth guys into higher roles again. And we just saw how that worked, you know, over the first stretch of games there with Shabbat out. So now we've got back to that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty nervous. It sucks because we were so hyped about this top four to start the season. Like before the year, we previewed Ottawa versus like every other Atlantic team and a bunch of other teams. Uh, and, and their defense was their saving grace a lot of the time. It was their top four. It was like, well, this is better than the other team, even if it's a good team. And I mean, we've seen Shabbat and, and Chikrin and Zub and Sanderson. We've seen those four play. And I want to say five games together now. Cause, or maybe a bit more than that, but like Zub was hurt to start the year too. He was out for a handful of games. Like we haven't seen these guys really kind of mesh and get their groove. It's just been like sporadic moments of time together. So that sucks and it's really hurt the team. I'm still not one to blame injuries. I still think that you have to find a way to overcome this. You cannot lose four of the next five games and then say, well, Shabbat was hurt. So that's why we lost. Like that's not reasonable. Somebody has to step up. And, and if nobody can, then like you should have planned better because frankly, 
Jacob Chikrin has a terrible injury history. Shabbat, yeah, he's never finished a season. He's missed, like, I don't know, at least, like, in most seasons, 10-plus games. Um, whether it's at the end, it doesn't matter. Like, he still has had injuries in his career. You know there's a good chance he's going to get hurt. Zub has missed time. He missed time last year. Sanderson missed time in college. You know there's a potential risk there. Like, these guys are all, you can't expect them to stay healthy the entire time. So you've got a plan for that. You've got to have other defensemen ready to go. And now you just have to hope that JVD and Hamina can step up because they've also got Brandstrom playing with Zub tonight, which is weird. I don't know if they're trying to do like a three-pairing thing here and keep it balanced, but for some reason that they've got this all mangled now as the lines are too. So yeah, I mean, losing Shabbat, it's a big deal, but uh, that can kind of lead us, I think, into our December gauntlet because, I mean, you're not going to have him for at least tonight, probably the next game, maybe the game after that. And then you've got, you know, this this crazy stretch of games uh, coming up in December. And frankly, like, even though they're crazy, they have to win. The Sens are 9 and 10. The season's moving along here. Like, we're, we're what are we now, a fifth of the way done? A quarter of the way done? Something like that. And Not it, even a quarter yet. Yeah, the Sens well, are it's quarter. still moving along. And there's, like, there's not a lot of time because the Eastern Conference is deadly. Like, the, the Sens can yeah. be, you know, even, even as basically last in the Eastern Conference. That's how goddamn good this conference is. So let's dive into the schedule here because it is not overly friendly. Yeah, it's brutal. I posted a screenshot of it and I cut it off of the Golden Knights just because of, of what could fit in the phone and like just put the, that it's a gauntlet or whatever, a little LeBron meme for for uh, for Twitter there. But it gets worse after that. So I'll go through it. It's just all of December pretty much. And it uh, doesn't, I mean, actually January is a little bit easier at the start, but um, all of December is, is, is brutal. Uh, so I don't know where these teams are in relation to playoff spots. I know which ones weren't in a playoff spot last year that are right now that they're going to play. So I'm going to run through these teams and I believe one of these teams coming up here is not in a playoff spot at the moment, maybe two or three, but the two that aren't are very good as well. So they got tonight against the New York Rangers, one of the best teams in the NHL Thursday against the Leafs at home, Red Wings on Saturday, hurricanes on the 12th. Then they go on a five game road trip. And this is the road trip from hell at St. Louis on a Thursday, at the Stars the next night, Sunday at Vegas, Tuesday at uh, Arizona, which in years past, that's probably the one you circle. Like, hey, that's the one we're going to get. The Coyotes are a wagon this season all of a sudden. 13-9-2. They're 13-9-2. They've won five in a row against all the former uh, Stanley Cup champs. Pretty cool little schedule nugget. Then the Sens go at Colorado to wrap up that road trip. Uh, Then they're coming home to play the Penguins on Saturday the 23rd. Then it's Christmas. Then they're right back at it. Wednesday the 27th in Toronto, Friday the 29th at or versus New Jersey in in Ottawa and then New Year's Eve against the Buffalo Sabres. The Sabres are the easiest one on that schedule. That is a gauntlet of a schedule um and yeah, like I don't know if the like if the Blues are in a playoff spot, I'm just going to eyeball it all. Only here. Pittsburgh and New Jersey are the only teams that are not in playoff spots. Every other team is on there. And those are those are some teams, right? So, uh like the, the whole point of that, like, like you mentioned, they got to win. There's no excuses. I expect I, I, I'm not going to fault them for losing one here and there in this stretch, but based on what they did earlier, they've now put themselves in a position where they got to win these hockey games. Uh, we've seen it for season after season, as bad as November has been, December has been a good month for them. So um, I, I kind of want to put it at this actually. So when, when they mention, and, and I, I personally think there is some, something to this. However, I think they're spinning it because they are losing and they haven't had a great record. The the amount of time between games and how playing a lot is going to get them in a better groove. Personally, I can see that. I, I can because getting into routine matters, blah, blah, blah. Like all of that's important. Um, 
that being said, like a couple injuries like Shabbat, and then you're just decimated. You go on those long road trips. The Western road trips have just been absolutely awful for this specific core of the team too. Uh, they haven't been kind. So that this one specifically, actually, like this, the St. Louis, Arizona, Vegas, Colorado. Last year they got pumped in Colorado. Like didn't win, in, had a bad game in Vegas last year too. So um, we'll cross that bridge. There's a lot more hockey to play before that. But this week alone, actually, like tonight against the Rangers. Leafs and Red Wings, those are massive games, man. Like you want to talk about losing ground quickly in the Atlantic to teams that you have games in hand on in your division, you got to win those hockey games. They don't have a good record in their division right now anyway. Um, so it's a gauntlet. It is, but it's, it's such a different feel now. It's not like I'm not going to take a moral victory tonight. Like they might play well. And if they do, and it's just a one goal game, whatever here and there that can, you can spin positives out of that. And I won't hate if they do because the Rangers are that good of a team, but they're, they're should, they should be, and they are at the point now where we got to be expecting them to actually win these games. It's not measuring sticks anymore, uh, or it is in a way, but it's not a measuring stick for a young team. It's a how can you evaluate your players against these good opponents. Before I throw to you too, I want to mention, do you think there's anything to, I think we talked about it a little bit last time, but like like the patience of Steos and Anlauer, and Anlauer mentioned it as well, just I'm trying to learn. It's been two months, three months. Um I personally, I think with this strength of schedule, not only can you evaluate the coach, you can evaluate some of your players that you really haven't seen a ton from. Like you can be like, what's this Josh Norris guy all about when he's going up against Mika Zibanejad and going up against Vincent Trocek? Or what about um, when he goes up against Matthews? You know what I mean? Like I think doing that with a more rigorous schedule is a great time to evaluate. I'd really be like, I, I think that we're going to see a different team this month in general. And I, I, I'm going to bite the bullet and just assume that what we saw on Saturday is going to be the new norm going forward. Like just eating shots, committing to defense. Cause that was, that was fun to watch on Saturday. It was, which sounds crazy because it was a boring two nothing game. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I mean like this December schedule, as much as it is a gauntlet that sucks, like they play 15 games in 31 days. Um, it, it is a good thing. I mean, the team has spoken to that as well. They only played nine games in all of December. They or sorry, all of November. They obviously had that Sweden trip. Um, and I mean, like I I'm on board with the whole, you know, maybe not blame, but at least acknowledge the fact that the schedule has been really weird to start the season. I don't like excuses, but like it has been bizarre. They've had easily the worst schedule of any team, not in the sense of games. Like they've actually had a very favorable schedule. If you look at home games and opponents and they had a real chance to start the year on the right foot. The problem is just like they've had weeks off in a row. They've had at least a couple five day breaks. They've had at least a few three or four day breaks. Like it's just been these massive gaps between games. So they have one good game and then they're off for like four days in a row. And it's like, we can't even remember our, our momentum from that game, right? Like it's all gone. You have to build it from the ground up. So I do acknowledge that. However, um, I think you can also look at the other side and say they should be well rested. They should have a ton of energy coming into this December stretch. Like they've had these gaps. Their bodies should not be as beaten up as some of these other teams. Like it's early in the year for everybody. But when you've played like six less games in a team and these guys are coming off a game two days ago, like you have a chance here where you should be a little bit more rested and come out with energy. My problem with a lot of their games this year has been the energy. It's been that they come out flat. Like if you're playing well and you're losing, that's one thing. But if you come out looking flat, especially on home ice, like they have in the majority of games this year, that's my issue because there's really you can't just say well we're flat because we haven't had you know we've had this many games off or this many days off from our last game that doesn't make sense like you should be well rested you should have the energy you should be ready to go so when you have four days off in a row and then you look like you're tired and you're like lazy on the ice it just doesn't make sense so that's my problem but i think this december stretch gives them a chance to really like build the momentum and kind of just go through and become a wagon and kind of create their own like get they're in the driver's seat here like they can create their own path a little bit 
um, because they have so many games in hand. You hit the nail on the head, though. When you start the year poorly and you lose those games, because they lost a lot of games. I mean, look just to Columbus the other night. Like, they've lost a lot of games this year to teams that they should have won. If you go through and you pick which games they're going to win, which games they're going to lose, like, they've lost too many games where you, you'd be picking that they would win it beforehand, right? Like, you, they, they, they've lost to bad teams, uh, which means that they have to beat good teams. That's all that means to me. Like, if you can come out... They so it's it's New York and then Toronto, Detroit, Carolina. I look at those four before the road trip. Those four games, if you can win like three of those, I mean, those are good teams. If you want to convince the fan base that you are in fact serious about your intentions and that you know you are back on board with December, it's just a bad month in November in October, bad start to the year. You've got the regular schedule, you're back. I think there's no better way to do it than to win against good teams. Like beating Seattle, that's one thing that's fine, but you should beat Seattle. Like you're not expected to beat the Rangers. The Rangers are number one in the Eastern Conference. If you want to prove that you're serious, go out and beat the New York Rangers tonight on home ice. Like that will leave a statement. The thing with the Sens is they haven't had enough statement wins this year, in my opinion. They need to make statement wins against good teams and go for it. Yeah. Well, I, I, they've had one, I think. It was that Toronto one, yeah. one. After the booing, it was in Toronto. That was yeah, a statement yeah, yeah, win. That's right. Yeah, yep. That was the only but one. Other than right? that, yeah, like they, they've just kind of coasted along and haven't really proven to anybody that they're serious. Like it's not just sense fans. Everybody in the league is going to take notice if you beat the New York Rangers. Like that's just a fact, right? Like that's not an easy thing. Like I said, they've won 18 of 23 games this year. That's insane. Like they are a really, really good team. They've got Shesterkin starting tonight. If you beat them, you're proving something. And then they've got Toronto, who is very beatable. Detroit, I don't care. I still am not on board with Detroit. I don't care about this whole hype thing. They've been good, listen, but I'm not on board. With I'm this. so like, salty. At some I'm point, so they're going to fall off. Detroit. I don't care. At some I'm point, so they're going to fall off. So they're beatable. Carolina, it's a hard five-game trip after that. But I'm looking at these next four games as the kind of prove-it schedule. That's my gauntlet. Because if you can win at least three of those, Fans are going to be back on board. You're above 500. They'd be, I think, two games above 500. You'd be comfortable. Like, just do that. That's all you need to do. Focus on those games, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I do want to bring up this Ann Lauer quote because you brought up Ann Lauer. So he was talking here. I don't even know where this was. There was some, it was the big meeting, I guess. They walked through, by the way, just a little bit of news. Um, they walked through like Seattle's arena, the, the climate pledge, and they walked through a few different. They're getting like the, the schematics all ready for Ottawa's new arena, which is awesome to see. Um, but Ann Lauer had a quote. So he said... Let me find it here. It's a process. I'm a new boss. I'm looking at all of our key employees and trying to understand and making sure they have the right tools to be successful. Steve is working pretty hard at this. I can feel the fans angst. So I like that. Ann Lauer came out and he acknowledged the fact that fans have been um, angsty. I guess you could say that. That was his words. So uh, obviously it's been kind of like a, a hellhole in, in the social media sphere of Ottawa because everybody has been chanting like DJ out and it's been this whole thing. Um, and, and that's obviously what a lot of fans want to see. But to hear the owner come out and acknowledge that is important to me. Uh, that's something where it kind of restores a little bit of faith. Not that I ever lost it, but to hear him come out and say, like, he he also added, like, he's a fan first. Like, he, he literally said, like, I'm a fan just as big as anybody else. You know, I'm new here. He acknowledged the fact that the fans have been without playoffs for six years now. I uh, came out and he just said that. And just, like, words go a long way is the thing. This is why my accountability thing is so big. Because if, if a player just comes out and they played a bad game and you say, we were bad tonight. We were not good enough, right? Like to me, that restores a lot of my kind of emotional balance, I guess. Like it makes me feel a lot more comfortable and confident in the team. It's the same with the owner. If you can come out and say like, we know this has not been a good season. We know that fans have been, you know, suffering for years. We are doing our best to evaluate it and then we're going to make a decision. Like, 
his quotes really came across as not necessarily threatening to DJ, but they came across as like, he's very aware of the situation and he knows like at some point or another, there's going to be a line where he will make a decision. He just kind of brought up the fact that it's early. He hasn't had a good chance to evaluate him and Steve are doing, you know, a lot of work, putting a lot of work into evaluating. Cause again, like they are right in the sense that even just like not on the ice, but staff around the team, right. They've had such a small front office. Like now they have so many other parts to evaluate and make sure that everything is in place before they make any crucial decisions. So I'm on board with that too. However, I will say like they are still nine and 10 and at some point somebody's going to have to pay if they continue to lose. Like I just talked about how, if you beat these good teams, you'll, you'll restore faith. Well, if you lose to them and you go on that road trip and you're like 10 and 13 or 14, I mean, you're in a really, really bad place at that point where it's going to be hard to recover. So uh, what do you think about those quotes from Ann Lauer and how important is it that he kind of acknowledged the fact that things have been rough for sense fans? I, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, every time he speaks, it's been, I don't know, three, four times now. I'm just like overcome with a feeling of confidence in the way this franchise is going in the future. Um, it's really weird, right? Because all these games, all these moments in the games are just boiled down to mistakes we've been seeing for years because it's the same regime, the exact same players most for the most part, uh, making, the, like, making the, the plays or the systems, whatever you want to call it. But then, you know, you take a step back and you're like, okay, we've got a brand new owner here a president of hockey ops, which they haven't really had in, in years. Um, and then an interim GM in, it's the same guy, but it's just, it, it's hard to remember that those two guys and Ann Lauer specifically is a brand new set of eyes. So like I mentioned with this, this schedule, it's a perfect opportunity to evaluate. Like you, you're going to get to see what you want. You're going to see them grind through a schedule, like a normal NHL schedule. You're going to see them play against the best in the league. Like how does Tim Stutzla stack? Like all these things that we've, I don't want to say that we've just accepted, you know, because Tim Stutzla is a number one center. He's a, he's an elite talent in the league, going to be one of the best players in the league for a lot of years, but we've, we've just accepted that because we, we know it's true and it is true. A new set of eyes might think something different. And I'm just using him as an example. Like I'm not saying that's what they're going to change, but you know, things like um, the way the team is, is, you know, worked around their centermen. Maybe they don't like, like little things like that. I'm kind of pulling random uh, uh thoughts here but like this team was built by a different person and a guy with a different view uh and and clearly a lot of players were brought in to suit the coach that he had like they got to get their fingerprints on the team so it's interesting when ann lauer is talking about that i like uh he, he got the question about the the fire dj chance as well and he did a little smirk and said yeah it was 30 fans in section 323 i love that part of the quote too because yeah, it was still a, a big chant and angst has never been higher. And like, yeah, it's, it's really early in his ownership for this to happen, but that's a great mentality because yeah, you can't, if you react off of a couple fans on Twitter or a couple fans here, you're not staying true to what probably brought you success in Hamilton or brought you success in other places. Like I'd have to do the research. I didn't check, but I don't know how good the Bulldogs were in 2015 when they took over. Um, but or 2016 or whatever it was, but they obviously turned into one of the best teams in, in, you know, the Canadian hockey league in the CHL and all of CHL. So to me, like, I'm not trying to just compare OHL to NHL because it's, it's apples to oranges, but yeah, I, I think the management style and the style, the managing of people, which was a little bit brought to light here with Michael does Otto's interview on spit and chiclets. Like the Sens were garbage at that for years uh, under Pierre Dorian. So and, and Danny, I, I know it does sound like optimism, but just hearing Ann Lauer talk, just it kind of snaps me out of it because, yeah, like tonight they could like lay an egg and just look like a terrible team again. And then we're back to this inconsistent play. But 
I'm just so confident in the people running the show now, much more so than before. Like we, for, for eight years, man, like it was, it was Pierre Dorian running the ship and I'm not going to kick a guy when he's not, when he's not here anymore. He was let go. We're on to the next thing here, but as a fan, it's just, it's so unique to have the same GM for so long. You get used to tendencies, you get used to reactionary moves like Michael Dell's auto being sent down as an example, uh, because the players like him, like that's ridiculous. We'll get into that in a second here, but, um, like you just get used to a management style. So I think as fans, maybe it's going to take a little bit to get used to Ann Lauer's ownership style. Right. And I love it though. I just, I liked the, um, the, 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 it did, it did feel like he he's aware and he has a pulse on the team, which is so, you know, we, as fans, everyone's got a pulse on this team and you got your opinions and things, but I think it's fair to say that under Melnick and especially in the, the last decade or so of his ownership, he didn't have a good pulse on the franchise or on the city or whatever. And hearing Ann Lauer say, we got to work out what's best for our fans, for the arena, what's what the politicians in Ottawa want, um, which I kind of roll my eyes at a little bit, but it's so important when you're trying to, make a deal with a government run city, uh, like all of the stuff that goes into that. So every time Michael Anlauer speaks, we are in the best possible hands for this to happen. It's just a really strange, um, start to the season. So I I'm leaving his, it wasn't even a press conference, just a little scrum, but I'm leaving that scrum at the board of governors meeting. Just, just feeling very good about the, the future of this team, um, in the short and long term, to be honest. Yeah, I think that's the big thing, too, when we talk about, like, optimism. And, and frankly, like, uh, I've definitely been more pessimistic, but I can also admit that I think um, there's a big picture sort of thing here that you have to realize. Like, when it comes to the big picture in the long term, I'm absolutely optimistic because I feel like Michael Anlauer, like, he's got a fantastic grip. I love the word pulse. That's a great word to use. Uh, pulse on this team. Like, he's just got the grip on it. He knows he's looking at things from the fans' perspective. We've already seen moves that are kind of in support of that. So um, I'm with you on that. And in the big picture, I'm very optimistic too. That's something I've been trying to get across is that like long-term I'm very confident in the players. I'm confident in the core. I'm confident in the ownership much more than I was, you know, two years ago or even a year ago. So that's a big thing for me. It's just like the right now, it, it, it's hard to look big picture for sense fans. I think more than almost any other fan base other than like Buffalo, because they've been in a rebuild forever. Like for Ottawa, it's tough because it's been, you know, six, seven years of people saying, you know, look at the future. Right. And so now it's true because we have a totally different owner. It's a unique situation. But it's still hard, and I, I completely acknowledge that with people. It's hard to look past the right now because it's like, even for me, it, like, I can't imagine another year with no playoffs. Like, uh, it's been so long. I mean, I started Everyday Sense in 2017 in the summer after they made the playoffs, and I was expecting them to be a, a Stanley Cup contender that next year. And it's been six, seven years of just, like, miss, miss, like, let down, let down, let down on the ice, off the ice. Now we finally have some structure off the ice with the on-ice product. Like, where are you? Like, we're, we're waiting, right? Like, we need that to catch up too. So I'm definitely, it's just the short-term versus long-term thing. Uh, but Michael Anlauer definitely instills confidence in me. He's, like, he's been one of the most, like best owners so far i still look back at his first press conference where he just like called the league out the things he said about the dadnov situation like i have not heard an owner say stuff like that where they're almost like attacking the league and gary bettman it's just so bold and i love hearing that so very optimistic long term one more quote and i'll leave it at this then i want to hear you just mention a couple things about delzato because that was interesting i know you read some stuff on it um so the last quote from anlauer too he was asked about evaluating the season to date he said there's some areas of improvement. We're making notes. It's so early in the season. I'll leave it at that, which to me just says like everybody kind of needs to be aware of themselves because like I will make changes if it comes to that. Um, I, I mean, it's just kind of him acknowledging the fact that, yeah, things haven't been very good, it, you know, 
things are going to have to improve, but it is early. He's not going to make any rash moves. So very confident in the long term, but I'll let you take it from there. And and just to that quickly, like like I mentioned this last episode, the, they're right now just going to hit the quarter mark today or, or next game, whatever you want to call it, like halfway through next game. Um, that that is is a mid November time frame. Like I think most teams played game twenty around November sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, around then. Like that's that's the way the schedule worked. It's just the Sens aren't playing, so technically we're in mid November right now. And if you look at it from that perspective, I understand the patience. Um, Still frustrating, but again, yeah, the, the long-term outlook. So let's go to something that actually happened about two years ago today. Um, Michael Delzato being sent down after the whole contract. So quickly, and I'm pretty sure fans are aware of Delzato's tenure here in Ottawa. It was very strange. Summer 2021, they bring in Pierre Maguire and almost immediately in free agency, they sign uh, Michael Delzato to a two-year Two million per contract, like a not a backbreaking deal by any means. Although they ended up making it one, but um, one that w- was was I I uh, popping or turned heads because, and I'm sure Delzato snatched it up right away because he wasn't getting offered that anywhere else or close to. So this is one of those moves I think that the Sens would have justified as like a a veteran guy to bring in whatever. But I think Delzato was one of the first. Um, examples or maybe not one of the first but one of the only examples of dj and pierre just not seeing eye to eye like and i'm not even talking about pierre dorian maybe i think this was a mcguire move from all reports but um anyway delzato was then bought out the next summer he got sent down 20 games into his, his tenure here in ottawa or whatever it was despite his uh decently strong numbers so he got sent down and then bought out the next summer and he was gone so like his dead money's still on the books right now there we go michael delzato yeah so on Spit and Chicklets, he went on. He's a great interview. He was a great guy. He always he was always a, a pretty entertaining interview when he was here for the brief time. From what I remember, like just a, a real um, locker room teammate. Had a great career early too. Offensive defenseman. Um, he wasn't good here in Ottawa. Like he wasn't good. It was a bad hockey team. However, with this new context, it was kind of implied. I think when it happened, but hearing him actually say it in the, in the tone in which he uses. So I encourage people, I, I posted a, a little clip on my Twitter, um, but go watch the interview with Spit and Chicklets. It's actually a great interview. It gives really good insight about uh, players in, in New York City, John Tortorella. It's awesome. Um, what he said about Ottawa, and he said a little, a few other things just about like the food and stuff, but that was under Melnick. So I feel like that's kind of a moot point now. But the thing that stood out to me, which I tweeted was when he was sent down, the Sens and he didn't mention names, but this is Dorian and I'm assuming DJ, but I'm going to, I think this is more on Dorian than DJ. Delzato said that they brought him in and said, or they sent him down at the end of the year at his end of year meeting before he was bought out. They told him, um, we sent you down as a scapegoat because you're a well-liked teammate and the team needed a wake up call. So this is kind of, I think this is really timely. Okay. Because for a couple seasons, and this was the same year that Matt Murray was sent down around the same time down to Belleville. Uh, what was that was in 2021, I believe, um, December 2021. So this was when things were were like it, it was all over the place for the Sens, right? So this is the thing I'm talking about: reactionary moves. Like it, it's so easy as a fan to be like, "Oh, cut Travis Hamnick," or you know, uh, "Do do this," like call up this guy and send this guy down, trade this guy, put him on waivers, buy him out. It's not, it's not EA sports here, you know? And I think what this Dell's auto thing did and with this new management, not doing a thing yet, it, it just really hammers home the, the, the aspect of 
hockey managing and coaching that we all take for granted. And even if you think you don't, you do until you're in it. Like we even just talking about it, we still take for granted how important it is. The managing of people is 50% of the job. And that was the first thing Steos mentioned when they alluded to their success in Hamilton is because they managed people and brought in good people. So I think there's a tie in with the patience of this new regime. What Ann Lauer said, we're evaluating everything and the snap call to send a guy on waivers that you signed like three months ago to a two-year deal who wasn't the problem. It was just a issue an issue. Um, it just really points to how dysfunctional the sends were in the past. And this isn't like a, like a decade ago. This was two seasons ago. Like all the new guys were still here. All the young guys that are on the team right now are still there. Um, I found it wild. I really did. Delzato was, listen, like he's a, he's a great guy. He's fun. But like the food stuff I was talking about, he was kind of just complaining about the, the, the quality of what they were served after games and compared to like the Rangers and stuff like that. I rolled my eyes at that. I didn't clip that. Cause it was just, I mean, you're in the NHL, like you'll survive kind of thing. And he was, he'd been to a lot of other cities. So this was just crazy to me because it's just a, a blatant, uh, example and another example of the mismanagement of people that the Sens went through under Pierre Dorian and Eugene Melnick. And it was pretty, uh, pretty opening. Yeah. There's been a lot of players who have kind of come out and said stuff about like Ottawa two back in the day and under Melnick and the crazy stories of Melnick, like the things he did back in those playoff runs too. And then there's, there's all sorts. I mean, but like you said, this is recent, so it's a little bit different. Um, I don't even have that much on Delzato. I just want to add this crazy, funny arc for him that, uh, that happened a little while ago. So I posted a, a picture on Instagram not too long ago. Uh, and it was, when was this? This was back in uh, April, actually. So it was a while ago. Um, but it was DJ Smith. It was a poll of if he should be fired or not. 85% of fans said, yes, he should be fired. This was in April. And Michael Delzato liked that picture. So it's just like this petty little little thing for, you know, he's clearly got this, this grudge against them. But I think a lot of players kind of have the same sort of thoughts. They didn't enjoy their time in Ottawa back with old ownership. Do you have something to add to that? I will say, yeah, because I posted it and people are saying, oh, it's on DJ. It's DJ. Like from everything we've heard, DJ is a great players coach. So I'm not going to. I don't, I think Delzato just didn't like him because of the situation. Like I think Tyler Ennis butted heads with DJ a bit because he was scratched. Like I'm sure Dylan Gambrell doesn't love him. And McEwen's probably not a fan. Like if you get scratched, no matter who the coach is, you're going to be pissed. You're going to be sour. You're a pro athlete. You like to go out and compete. So that's what I read into that DJ stuff. Um, but like, I think it's, it's just the man, like the, like coaches don't send players down. Uh, but like it was just, it was a dif- dysfunctional mess, man. It was, it really was. So, uh, really interesting to hear. And, and again, it was a great interview. Like it's just, Chicklets is just dynamite for their interviews with players, the insight they get. And, uh, those photos, he, he's a funny guy. Like some of the stories he had was pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And, and other than that, I mean, I know you said you had to wrap up a little bit early today. So, um, other than that, like I, we've got 15 minutes until well, the anthems, I guess I hate saying puck drop because they always delay it by 10 minutes and it's five ten for me, seven ten for you. So, uh, other than that, yeah, I think we're, we've hit on a lot of topics here. I think we've got some good engagement in the chat and yeah, like the, the kind of summary of our, our pod today is that long-term things are very optimistic for Ottawa. The ownership is stable. They acknowledge the fact that things have not been great this year on the ice. Uh, we're confident tonight like chance to prove it right it's a prove it game the next four games are at uh gonna be before their five game road trip 
Uh, the next four games are going to be super hard, but also like I think it's a good thing because if you can come out and beat those good teams, uh, you've got a chance to kind of prove to the league that you're serious and prove to Sens fans that you're not a joke, as was seen in the first two months. So start it tonight. Igor Shosturkin in that 18-4 and one New York Rangers. What better game to prove yourselves as a nine and ten team? Get back to 500, and then Toronto on uh, on Thursday will be a huge game too. So yeah, other than that, that's uh, that's pretty much what we got today. Quick note before we send everyone away here. The last time these two teams played, just over a year ago, Jacob Truba, Brady Kachuk squared off at center ice. Brady Kachuk, probably his best game of They've his had career. Some great games against each other. They, I was going to say, they don't play boring games. They had a game two seasons ago with, with Del Zotto, like that, that year, where the Sens played really well, and then there were a couple bad calls. The Rangers storm back and win, uh, get three goals in the in the third period and like ruin that one. So like these teams don't play boring games is my point. And like, it's been a pretty good rivalry actually since 2012, I think 20, uh, 2017 playoff series too. Like the Rangers are, are an original six team. They've got three straight games here against original six franchises. Like that doesn't mean nothing in hockey to me. So um, expect a good one tonight. I think I expect the Sens to bring their A game. I am, let's do a score prediction quickly before we go here. I am going to say, I think the, rangers win this one but i think it'll be close i think it'll be a good game it'll be more more painful when the Sens eventually end up losing in my opinion i think it'll be i'm gonna go uh three two new york in regulation three two okay i'm, I'm gonna go you know i'm gonna say four three ottawa in overtime oh okay yeah. so the difference that we've got there their score the Sens are gonna score a six on five goal for you and i, I don't think they that's will right. that's my that's my uh <laughs> my skepticism so we thank everyone for watching us here another edition everyday Sens podcast a live stream edition remember to like the youtube video please comment along again like even if you're watching after just throw your thoughts in um we really appreciate it subscribing to the youtube page goes a long way as well we're on the road to 2000 I don't know, man. Like, hopefully, when these games start going again, we can do more of these because we complain about the schedule, but it was also tough for us uh, just just getting into a groove with the games and everything like that. So we're hoping to get back on track a little bit with these pregames because they're fun to do. So that's been it for the Everyday Sense podcast. A reminder to subscribe again, and thank you everyone for watching. We'll see you all next time. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the Everyday Sense Podcast. We got another pregame edition here for the people. I'm Jack Richardson, joined as always by Brendan Parks to preview the New York Rangers visiting the Ottawa Senators. Rangers are on a tear. We'll get into all of that. So, Brendan, how are you doing today? It's Tuesday, December fifth. Ottawa Senators game day. Yeah, I'm doing good. I mean, I'm doing a lot better because they won against Seattle uh, the other night, so that was good. Finally, got past uh, a rough little stretch of games, and we got a. A uh, two nothing victory shutout first shutout of the season. Anton Forsberg came through, um, and he's starting again tonight. So Seattle, I mean, beating them is one thing, right? That's uh, that, that was a team that was I think eight ten and six uh, coming into that game. So eight eleven and six now tonight. You've got New York, who's lost like five of twenty three games this season, which is insane. Uh, this is going to be a true test. So we're going to dive into that. Um, Again, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We've got some viewers and we've got some chats already. Uh, some really good engagement in the last one, too. I know a lot of people were enjoying kind of the venting atmosphere. That's what we did with the last live. We, we kind of let our frustrations out. We got everybody in the chat letting their frustrations out. Uh, a little more positive tonight. But again, the Sens are still 9 and 10 on the season. So we've got... Uh, 
we've got some work to do on the ice, I think. And then we've also got some stuff we can talk about off the ice with Michael Delzato did an interview today. I know Michael Anlauer did some, he talked about some stuff with the Sens and how, you know, DJ Smith's job and, and his thoughts on that. So we can dive into all of it, but let's just get going here. Uh, we've got just about just under one hour until puck drop in, uh, in Ottawa. Yeah. So again, if people are watching, if people are watching on Twitter, cause we are live on Twitter or X and YouTube as well, both platforms, if you would like to comment along, which we encourage and the YouTube goes a long way to support us uh, as a podcast and everything and support the page. So if you would like to comment along, you have to head over to the YouTube um, a bit more engaging there. Uh, yeah. So, so we can get into the Rangers and obviously I mentioned the Rangers are a wagon. I got the record there at the bottom of the screen. They're 18, four and one, one of the best teams in the NHL. They just keep humming. We'll get into all of that, but, like you mentioned, obviously some things to mention about the Ottawa Senators. Ridley Gregg back in the lineup. There's two two sides of the injury card here that we got tonight. We got Ridley Gregg coming back after a 10-game absence. We'll break down what his uh, return means for the team and for the forward core. Third line looks a lot better now. And then obviously Thomas Shabbat will not be playing tonight. MRI, MRI being done after what was arguably one of his best games of the season. An absolute downer i i think so what do you want to start with we can start with greg let's start on the positive note here um mr ridley greg back in the lineup a rookie this season was up there for the calder early on this season he was one of the best rookies in the league and then obviously went down against the los angeles kings 10 games ago so it's weird because they haven't played so many games um 10 games doesn't seem like that long of a time but he's been out for just about a month now so uh what are your thoughts on greg returning to the lineup i believe he's going to line up beside dominic kubalik and matthew joseph it looks like tonight so uh give me your thoughts on that line and we'll we'll get into like seattle that game when we talk more about shabbat i think yeah, so Greg, Greg, I think coming back is one of the biggest things that could have happened for this team. Uh, I know, obviously, yeah, he was up there for the Calder discussions and, and people, you know, when they're rookie players, they kind of overlook rookies and they think they're not that impactful. But Greg was one of Ottawa's most impactful players. I think I'm even going to do an article on it just because, like, when you look at the metrics, and again, I love metrics. I know a lot of people don't necessarily love the numbers, but uh, Greg led the sends in, like, almost every single metric. Like, he was up there, especially defensively. That was the big thing. He was a very net positive player on the defensive side of things. Uh, I had his stats up. So he was a plus nine, plus nine, I believe, uh, something like that. He was on the ice for 10 goals, four at 5v5, and one against a 5v5, which is like, you can't really dispute that. Like, even if you don't love numbers, like when you talk about being on the ice for 10 goals and then one against, like that's a big difference, right? Like that is a very net positive player. Uh, so I think Greg obviously just defensively is a big thing because the team is so bad defensively like they've been so uh they've struggled so much in the defensive zone that i think getting greg back obviously as a centerman that's one of his priorities um it's gonna help out a lot the other thing is just kind of what it does it's like uh addition by subtraction almost so rourke Chartier, right like we, we've talked with him a little bit uh he's been good defensively honestly i've been happy with Chartier's impact on that side but he brings nothing offensively like he you could hand him the puck on a breakaway with nobody within 10 feet of him and he somehow wouldn't get a shot on net like he's just brings literally nothing to the offensive zone uh so getting greg back i think that's going to be a big thing because that third line i mean tarasenko and kubalik have been stapled to Chartier for the last little bit and i mean big surprise they haven't produced anything like that Chartier is just kind of like a killer offensively um and so that makes him a good fourth line center but I think getting Greg back that's going to really help Kubalik it's going to help it's going to be that addition by subtraction like I said uh and obviously Tarasenko bumps up because him Stutzla and, and um and Batherson looked great last game they scored a goal and looked really good so they're on the line now um uh, but I think that just bringing Greg in it's going to help the line mates Kubalik's been very quiet like he's done nothing of note in the last like two weeks like he's just been 
dead silence. So uh, hopefully Greg coming back is going to help that. But again, center in my mind is, I don't want to say, I'm going to say arguably the most important position in hockey. It's very important to have depth. Every Stanley Cup champion has a strong top six center core, but they have strong depth as well. Um, very important. So when you have a guy who, you know, he's 26 years old and has never held an NHL role consistently, and you have him playing in a third line center role, that's not ideal, right? That's really hard to win when you have those situations. So having Greg back, and again, we should limit our expectations, a high ankle sprain, obviously low grade, but that's nothing to be, you know, like you can't expect Greg to come back and be the same player necessarily because eye ankle sprain is what Batherson had too. It was just a much worse injury. It's a hard thing to come back from. I guess it's one of the worst injuries. I've never had it, but people have said it's one of the worst injuries you can get to recover from. So considering Greg only missed what, like a month, not even um, like, I, I don't think it was that serious, but still, Need to temper our expectations. I do think, though, regardless, having him as that third-line center is going to be huge. And by the way, Shane Pinto, I want to say there's another month, like less than two months now until Pinto can return, until he's eligible. So when you get him and Greg back, this lineup's going to look a lot different. People kind of undervalue depth. They're two depth players, but at the same time, like... Ridley Greg, man, he's very important to this team. He proved that through the first stretch of games this year. He was a big contributor in their first kind of opening four games there where they played pretty well. So I'm excited to have him back. Uh, I think he's going to kind of tidy things up defensively, but he's going to really, really impact Kubalik. And I think Joseph, too. He looked great with Joseph earlier in the year, but I think Kubalik's going to be the biggest kind of uh, benefactor of Ridley Greg coming back. Well, I mean, Joseph, Joseph's been one of their best players, period. So like whoever he's playing with is going to benefit the way he's going right now. Um, it's funny you mentioned Pinto's back in about a month and a half but it's still he still hasn't even served half of his suspension they've played 19 games 20 20 or 21 i guess would be the the exact split so like this will mark the halfway point of his suspension essentially tonight or halfway through the next game if you want to nitpick numbers but it's crazy when you think about it like that so yeah in terms of days it's very close but games wise we're not even halfway there yet so um, it, it, we'll, we'll table that because that's going to be a discussion. What do you sign him to? When can he get going? How good is he when he comes back? Like that's going to be a whole thing uh, to, to unpack. But in terms of Ridley Greg, man, I'm, I'm stoked. He was my, like, I don't want to say, I, I think I say it all the time. He's my favorite player on the team. I've got like five guys who are my favorite player on the Sens right now, but um, coming up before this season, he was easily my favorite prospect. I think outside of the top guys and like Stutzla, Sanderson, he was the guy. It's just exciting, man. Like at the world juniors a couple of years ago, um, what he did in Brandon, what he did in Belleville when he was there for a short time. Like he's exciting in the way that um, maybe a way that like Sanderson is right. Where the offense, he didn't really, you weren't expecting it. He was touted as this gritty guy who's going to get in the opponent's face. And we've seen way more of that this year. Obviously the big hit on Debrinket that really changed the <laughs> tone of the season for the Sens, unfortunately, but um, like it was a great clean hit, like stuff like that is what they've been missing. I think uh, just a little bit of bite and, it, it sounds weird to say that for a team like the Ottawa Senators led by Brady Kachuk with a bunch of tough guys, essentially, or actually, I, I don't even know. I mean, again, that's another discussion, like what the, the Sens toughness is like. We talked about it last episode in the Florida game. Like, was it embarrassing? Was it a good sign that they were, were just dropping the mitts all the time? But um, a guy like Ridley Gregg is just going to give you that extra punch. I like what you mentioned about Rourke Chartier, like not bad by any means, but just playing above his uh, I don't want to say pay grade, but he, he's not, he's not a third line center in the NHL. And that's fine. I I really do think he's been an okay fourth line guy though. Um, with, with whatever combination they go with, I don't know if they're going 11 and seven tonight. I guess we'll find out in the next little bit here, but um, yeah. So, so to me, uh, this is, this is a boost and, and we will talk about Shabbat here now, but um, for the forwards alone, which the amount of line shuffling, we talked about that as well before the last game against Seattle, like the, the line juggling alone 
can be frustrating. And I think a lot of that was due to the lack of center depth that they had. Right. So um, they've played what, maybe three, four games with, with Stutzla, Norris and Greg down the middle. Um, so looking, hopefully fingers crossed, obviously you never know what can happen, but let's hope with this gauntlet of a schedule coming up uh, that they can maintain this core uh, center wise. It's still very young. Greg is a rookie. Stutzla is 21. Norris is 23, but all three guys just give you something at even strength uh that that and like you mentioned i think center ice is absolutely the most important especially on this team we've talked about their defensive zone the wingers don't play a ton of defense or haven't really so far other than matthew joseph obviously uh but when the centers when, when the wingers don't it puts that much more pressure on the sends so uh, on the centers i should say so i'm really looking forward to seeing what greg looks like i'm not too concerned because it was a low grade and high ankle sprain i don't think it'll be like drake batherson's uh, Batherson was out for, for much longer, I believe. Um, or he, maybe, maybe he wasn't, I don't, I don't really remember how long I think he did come back. I know he came back that season, but, uh, I, be, I feel like it was longer than Greg missed. Uh, but it well, might not be. And maybe we'll yeah, see if that affects Batherson's was from there in Delhi, wasn't it? So well, it was, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was but, months and months, wasn't it? Well, it felt like it because they played so many games, I think. But True. like I, like I said with Greg, like he missed 10 games, but he still missed, a, a month like i think that might be the similar timeline to batherson i could be wrong maybe someone wants to let us know in the chat how long batherson missed in terms of days not games um but regardless regardless he probably isn't a super 100 percent. but greg isn't like skating isn't his his strong suit right it's not like it's joseph or stutzler or, or whoever who uh who injured their leg here like greg's game is to just be a positional player and and it's really what what he's done with the puck on his stick. It's not really his his skating that's impressed me so far. So I'm not really nervous about him coming back from that. Let's go to the other side of the injury news. Thomas Shabbat. This sucks. This sucks. Uh, he had a great game on Saturday, which we will touch on. But uh, I forgot to put up the thing here. So Shabbat is out again. He came back for two games. Two games after he missed ten, just like Greg did. He missed ten with a broken hand. Completely unrelated injury. It looks like his knee or something. He did miss time on saturday he came out of the game then came back continued to dominate um this sucks man like i i was just i don't want to say i was just coming around on thomas shabbat but he was pretty polarizing last season it was starting to go that way this year and then you pointed out the numbers when he's in the lineup versus out of the lineup how their team just like the team defense the puck possession everything is just better with shabbat and he's been injured a lot before and he's never played a full season which we should note uh, but with Shabbat, I think in years past when he gets injured, personally, I didn't really see a huge drop off in the way the team was playing. It was more like, oh, we've got Chicker, we've got Brandstrom to run the power play, we got Sanderson coming up now. This was the first stretch of games, the 10 games, where you could like legitimately see the absence of Thomas Shabbat. And it was so it was so obvious. Um, and when he came back, like Seattle, like it was it was a great game for the Sens, which we'll touch on as well. But um, it, it, it hurts because they just, it feels like they just got comfortable with those pairings maybe even. And like, um, so we'll see what the results are. Maybe it's not too serious, but it doesn't bode well that he's, you know, not skating at all and waiting for results on an MRI. Well, he came back last game too. Like he, he was out, he got hurt and then he came back. And, and so it was a sigh of relief. He was like at the end of the game, they did the stick raises. There's even pictures of him. He, he's got a stick up. He was still out there. It seemed like it was a, a small thing. Uh, and then it turns out that it might be more serious. I would assume like my, my positive side is saying and maybe because he came back, we can expect that he won't miss serious time. Uh, just because like it would have been pretty hard for him to return and play the rest of the game if he had something like 
really serious, but uh, whatever it is, he'll probably miss at least a couple of games. So uh, it is terrible because, yeah, I mean, Shabbat, I, I put together an article and, and I had, you know, the numbers with and without, and it was just basically, I mean, don't get me wrong, Ottawa still wasn't perfect with him in the lineup, but like their numbers plummeted in every way. Like every single number went down by a significant margin. The only one that stayed even close to where it was, um, for the games that he missed compared to the ones that he was in was actual goals for, which is the one spot where Ottawa's, you know, done well this year. And even that fell from second in the league to seventh in the league. Like it all regressed and they were bottom five in like every metric without him. So I think the biggest thing with Shabbat is possession. Like they, they just are a better team. They break out better. They, they go through the neutral zone better. Like he plays heavy minutes. So he's on a lot and he's someone who actually is good with the puck. Um, I know people don't love his turnovers and that happens, but like realistically, when you look at the grand scheme of things, turnovers are a lot easier to notice than a beautiful breakout pass, for example. So he does make a lot of good plays. He is a very good player. Um, so yeah, having him out sucks. It's more of the fact that like now Travis Hamannick is paired with Jacob Chickren tonight. Like Travis Hamannick has been a real bad player and uh, we love Hamannick, but like not on the ice. We don't because last game Hamannick actually only played five minutes and 16 seconds all at 5v5. Like Ottawa dominated that game pretty handedly, but when Hamannick was on the ice for those five minutes, they were outshot shot attempts. Sorry, were eleven to four for Seattle. And that was like the only time when when they got you know outchanced by the other teams. So Hamannick just he's not the player he was in his prime, and he he really has been a liability. So to have him now, you know, like you can say Shabbat being out sucks, but it's more so that now you've got to play these other players. Even Bernard Docker, I like how JBD's played, but like is he a free? Like he's playing with Sanderson tonight. Is he a first pairing defenseman that's capable of those 20 plus minutes? Like, I don't know. That's a pretty nervous situation. So now you've kind of got the situation where you have to play these depth guys into higher roles again. And we just saw how that worked, you know, over the first stretch of games there with Shabbat out. So now we've got back to that. Uh, so, yeah, I'm pretty nervous. It sucks because we were so hyped about this top four to start the season. Like before the year, we previewed Ottawa versus like every other Atlantic team and a bunch of other teams. Uh, and, and their defense was their saving grace a lot of the time. It was their top four. It was like, well, this is better than the other team, even if it's a good team. And I mean, we've seen Shabbat and, and Chikrin and Zub and Sanderson. We've seen those four play. And I want to say five games together now. Because or maybe a bit more than that, but like Zub was hurt to start the year too. He was out for a handful of games. Like we haven't seen these guys really kind of mesh and get their groove. It's just been like sporadic moments of time together. So that sucks and it's really hurt the team. I'm still not one to blame injuries. I still think that you have to find a way to overcome this. You cannot lose four of the next five games and then say, well, Shabbat was hurt, so that's why we lost. Like that's not reasonable. Somebody has to step up, and and if nobody can, then like you should have planned better because frankly. Jacob Chikrin has a terrible injury history. Shabbat, yeah, he's never finished a season. He's missed, like, I don't know, at least, like, in most seasons, 10-plus games. Um, whether it's at the end, it doesn't matter. Like, he still has had injuries in his career. You know there's a good chance he's going to get hurt. Zub has missed time. He missed time last year. Sanderson missed time in college. You know there's a potential risk there. Like, these guys are all, you can't expect them to stay healthy the entire time. So you've got a plan for that. You've got to have other defensemen ready to go. And now you just have to hope that JVD and Hamannick can step up because, They've also got Brandstrom playing with Zub tonight, which is weird. I don't know if they're trying to do like a three pairing thing here and keep it balanced, but for some reason that they've got this all mangled now as the lines are too. So yeah, I mean, losing Shabbat, it's a big deal, but uh, that can kind of lead us, I think, into our December gauntlet because I mean, you're not going to have him for at least tonight, probably the next game, maybe the game after that. And then you've got, you know, this, this crazy stretch of games uh, coming up in December. And frankly, like, even though they're crazy, they have to win. The Sens are nine and 10. The season's moving along here. Like we're, we're, what are we now? A fifth of the way done? A quarter of the way done? Something like that? And not it, even a quarter yet. Yeah, well, it's quarter. still moving along, and 
there's like there's not a lot of time because the Eastern Conference is deadly. Like the the Sens can yeah. be, you know, even even is basically last in the Eastern Conference. That's how goddamn good this conference is. So let's dive into the schedule here because it is not overly friendly. Yeah, it's brutal. I posted a screenshot of it and I cut it off at the Golden Knights just because of, of what could fit in the phone and like just put the, that it's a gauntlet or whatever, a little LeBron meme for for uh, for Twitter there. But it gets worse after that. So I'll go through it. It's just all of December pretty much. And it uh, doesn't, I mean, actually January is a little bit easier at the start, but um, all of December is, is, is brutal. Uh, so I don't know where these teams are in relation to playoff spots. I know which ones weren't in a playoff spot last year that are right now that they're going to play. So I'm going to run through these teams and I believe one of these teams coming up here is not in a playoff spot at the moment, maybe two or three, but the two that aren't are very good as well. So they got tonight against the New York Rangers, one of the best teams in the NHL Thursday against the Leafs at home, Red Wings on Saturday, hurricanes on the 12th. Then they go on a five game road trip. And this is the road trip from hell at St. Louis on a Thursday, at the Stars the next night, Sunday at Vegas, Tuesday at uh, Arizona, which in years past, that's probably the one you circle. Like, hey, that's the one we're going to get. The Coyotes are a wagon this season all of a sudden. 13-9-2. They're 13-9-2. They've won five in a row against all the former uh, Stanley Cup champs. Pretty cool little schedule nugget. Then the Sens go at Colorado to wrap up that road trip. Uh, Then they're coming home to play the Penguins on Saturday the 23rd. Then it's Christmas. Then they're right back at it. Wednesday the 27th in Toronto, Friday the 29th at or versus New Jersey in in Ottawa and then New Year's Eve against the Buffalo Sabres. The Sabres are the easiest one on that schedule. That is a gauntlet of a schedule um and yeah, like I don't know if the like if the Blues are in a playoff spot, I'm just going to eyeball it all. Only here. Pittsburgh and New Jersey are the only teams that are not in playoff spots. Every other team is on there. And those are those are some teams, right? So, uh like the, the whole point of that, like, like you mentioned, they got to win. There's no excuses. I expect I, I, I'm not going to fault them for losing one here and there in this stretch, but based on what they did earlier, they've now put themselves in a position where they got to win these hockey games. Uh, we've seen it for season after season, as bad as November has been, December has been a good month for them. So um, I, I kind of want to put it at this actually. So when, when they mention and, and I, I personally think there is some, something to this. However, I think they're spinning it because they are losing and they haven't had a great record. The the amount of time between games and how playing a lot is going to get them in a better groove. Personally, I can see that. I, I can because getting into routine matters, blah, blah, blah. Like all of that's important. Um, that being said, like a couple injuries like Shabbat, and then you're just decimated. You go on those long road trips. The Western road trips have just been absolutely awful for this specific core of the team too. Uh, they haven't been kind. So that, this one specifically, actually, like this, this St. Louis, Arizona, Vegas, Colorado. Last year, they got pumped in Colorado, like didn't win, in, had a bad game in Vegas last year, too. So um, we'll cross that bridge. There's a lot more hockey to play before that. But this week alone, actually, like tonight against the Rangers, Leafs and Red Wings, those are massive games, man. Like you want to talk about losing ground quickly in the Atlantic to teams that you have games in hand on in your division. you got to win those hockey games. They don't have a good record in their division right now anyway. Um, so it's a gauntlet. It is, but it's, it's such a different feel now. It's not like, I'm not going to take a moral victory tonight. Like they might play well. And if they do, and it's just a one goal game, whatever here and there that can, you can spin positives out of that. And I won't hate if they do because the Rangers are that good of a team, but they're, they're should They should be. And they are at the point now where we got to be expecting them to actually win these games. It's not measuring sticks anymore. Uh, or it is in a way, but it's not a measuring stick for a young team. It's a, 
how can you evaluate your players against these good opponents before i throw to you too i want to mention do you think there's anything to i think we talked about it a little bit last time but like like the patience of steos and anlauer and anlauer mentioned it as well just i'm trying to learn it's been two months three months um i personally i think with this strength of schedule not only can you evaluate the coach you can evaluate some of your players that you really haven't seen a ton from like you can be like what's this josh norris guy all about when he's going up against mika zibanejad and going up against vincent trocek or what about um when he goes up against matthews you know what i mean like i think doing that with a more rigorous schedule is a great time to evaluate i'd really be like i i think that we're gonna see a different team this month in general and i i I'm going to bite the bullet and just assume that what we saw on Saturday is going to be the new norm going forward. Like just eating shots, committing to defense. Cause that was, that was fun to watch on Saturday. It was, which sounds crazy because it was a boring two nothing game. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I mean like this December schedule, as much as it is a gauntlet that sucks, like it, they play 15 games in 31 days. Um, it, it is a good thing. I mean, the team has spoken to that as well. They only played nine games in all of December that or sorry, all of November. They obviously had that Sweden trip. Um, and I mean, like I I'm on board with the whole, you know, maybe not blame, but at least acknowledge the fact that the schedule has been really weird to start the season. I don't like excuses, but like it has been bizarre. They've had easily the worst schedule of any team, not in the sense of games. Like they've actually had a very favorable schedule. If you look at home games and opponents and they had a real chance to start the year on the right foot. The problem is just like they've had weeks off in a row. They've had at least a couple five day breaks. They've had at least a few three or four day breaks. Like it's just been these massive gaps between games. So they have one good game and then they're off for like four days in a row. And it's like, we can't even remember our, our momentum from that game, right? Like it's all gone. You have to build it from the ground up. So I do acknowledge that. However, um, I think you can also look at the other side and say they should be well rested. They should have a ton of energy coming into this December stretch. Like they've had these gaps. Their bodies should not be as beaten up as some of these other teams. Like it's early in the year for everybody. But when you've played like six less games in a team and these guys are coming off a game two days ago, like you have a chance here where you should be a little bit more rested and come out with energy. My problem with a lot of their games this year has been the energy. It's been that they come out flat. Like if you're playing well and you're losing, that's one thing. But if you come out looking flat, especially on home ice, like they have in the majority of games this year, that's my issue because there's really you can't just say well we're flat because we haven't had you know we've had this many games off or this many days off from our last game that doesn't make sense like you should be well rested you should have the energy you should be ready to go so when you have four days off in a row and then you look like you're tired and you're like lazy on the ice it just doesn't make sense so that's my problem but i think this december stretch gives them a chance to really like build the momentum and kind of just go through and become a wagon and kind of create their own like get they're in the driver's seat here like they can create their own path a little bit um, because they have so many games in hand you hit the nail on the head though when you start the year poorly and you lose those games because they lost a lot of games i mean look just to columbus the other night like they've lost a lot of games this year to teams that they should have won if you go through and you pick which games are going to win which games they're going to lose like they've lost too many games where you, you'd be picking that they would win it beforehand right like you they, they they've lost to bad teams uh which means that they have to beat good teams that's all that means to me like if you can come out they so it's it's New York and then Toronto, Detroit, Carolina. I look at those four before the road trip. Those four games, if you can win like three of those, I mean, those are good teams. If you want to convince the fan base that you are in fact serious about your intentions and that you know you are back on board with December, it's just a bad month in November in october bad start to the year you've got the regular schedule you're back i think there's no better way to do it than to win against good teams like beating seattle that's one thing that's fine but you should beat seattle like you're not expected to beat the rangers the rangers are number one in the eastern conference if you want to prove that you're serious go out and beat the new york rangers tonight on home ice like that will leave a statement the thing with the sense is they haven't had enough statement wins this year in my opinion they need to make statement wins against good teams and go for it yeah 
Well, I, I, they've had one, I think. It was that one, Toronto yeah. one. After the booing, it was in Toronto. That was yeah, a statement yeah, yeah, win. That's right. Yeah, yep. that was the only but one. Other than right. that, yeah, like they, they've just kind of coasted along and haven't really proven to anybody that they're serious. Like it's not just sense fans. Everybody in the league is going to take notice if you beat the New York Rangers. Like that's just a fact, right? Like that's not an easy thing. Like I said, they've won 18 of 23 games this year. That's insane. Like they are a really, really good team. They've got Shesterkin starting tonight. If you beat them, you're proving something. And then they've got Toronto, who is very beatable. Detroit, I don't care. I still am not on board with Detroit. I don't care about this whole hype thing. They've been good, listen, but I'm not on board. With I'm this. so like, salty. At some I'm point, so they're going to fall off. Detroit. I don't care. At some I'm point, so they're going to fall off. So they're beatable. Carolina, it's a hard five-game trip after that. But I'm looking at these next four games as the kind of prove-it schedule. That's my gauntlet. Because if you can win at least three of those, Fans are going to be back on board. You're above 500. They'd be, I think, two games above 500. You'd be comfortable. Like, just do that. That's all you need to do. Focus on those games, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I do want to bring up this Ann Lauer quote because you brought up Ann Lauer. So he was talking here. I don't even know where this was. There was some, it was the big meeting, I guess. They walked through, by the way, just a little bit of news. Um, they walked through like Seattle's arena, the, the Climate Pledge, and they walked through a few different. They're getting like the, the schematics all ready for Ottawa's new arena, which is awesome to see. Um, but Ann Lauer had a quote. So he said... Let me find it here. It's a process. I'm a new boss. I'm looking at all of our key employees and trying to understand and making sure they have the right tools to be successful. Steve is working pretty hard at this. I can feel the fans angst. So I like that. Ann Lauer came out and he acknowledged the fact that fans have been um, angsty. I guess you could say that. That was his words. So uh, obviously it's been kind of like a, a hellhole in, in the social media sphere of Ottawa because everybody has been chanting like DJ out and it's been this whole thing. Um, and, and that's obviously what a lot of fans want to see. But to hear the owner come out and acknowledge that is important to me. Uh, that's something where it kind of restores a little bit of faith. Not that I ever lost it, but to hear him come out and say, like, he he also added, like, he's a fan first. Like, he, he literally said, like, I'm a fan just as big as anybody else. You know, I'm new here. He acknowledged the fact that the fans have been without playoffs for six years now. I uh, came out and he just said that. And just, like, words go a long way is the thing. This is why my accountability thing is so big. Because if, if a player just comes out and they played a bad game and you say, we were bad tonight. We were not good enough, right? Like to me, that restores a lot of my kind of emotional balance, I guess. Like it makes me feel a lot more comfortable and confident in the team. It's the same with the owner. If you can come out and say, like, we know this has not been a good season. We know that fans have been, you know, suffering for years. We are doing our best to evaluate it. And then we're going to make a decision. Like, his quotes really came across as not necessarily threatening to DJ, but they came across as like, he's very aware of the situation and he knows like at some point or another, there's going to be a line where he will make a decision. He just kind of brought up the fact that it's early. He hasn't had a good chance to evaluate him and Steve are doing, you know, a lot of work, putting a lot of work into evaluating. Cause again, like they are right in the sense that even just like not on the ice, but staff around the team, right. They've had such a small front office. Like now they have so many other parts to evaluate and make sure that everything is in place before they make any crucial decisions. So I'm on board with that too. However, I will say like they are still nine and 10 and at some point somebody's going to have to pay if they continue to lose. Like I just talked about how, if you beat these good teams, you'll, you'll restore faith. Well, if you lose to them and you go on that road trip and you're like 10 and 13 or 14, I mean, you're in a really, really bad place at that point where it's going to be hard to recover. So uh, what do you think about those quotes from Ann Lauer and how important is it that he kind of acknowledged the fact that things have been rough for sense fans? I, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, every time he speaks, it's been, I don't know, three, four times now. I'm just like overcome with a feeling of confidence in the way this franchise is going in the future. Um, it's really weird, right? Because all these games, all these moments in the games are just boiled down to mistakes we've been seeing for years because it's the same regime, the exact same players, most the, for the most part, uh, making the, like making the, the plays or the systems, whatever you want to call it. But then 
you know, you take a step back and you're like, okay, we've got a brand new owner here, a president of hockey ops, which they haven't really had in, in years. Um, and then an interim GM and it's the same guy, but it's just, it's hard to remember that those two guys and Ann Lauer specifically is a brand new set of eyes. So like I mentioned with this, this schedule, it's a perfect opportunity to evaluate. Like you're going to get to see what you want. You're going to see them grind through a schedule, like a normal NHL schedule. You're going to see them play against the best in the league. Like how does Tim Stutzla stack? Like all these things that we've, I don't want to say that we've just accepted, you know, because Tim Stutzla is a number one center. He's a, he's an elite talent in the league, going to be one of the best players in the league for a lot of years, but we've, we've just accepted that because we, we know it's true and it is true. A new set of eyes might think something different. And I'm just using him as an example. Like I'm not saying that's what they're going to change, but you know, things like um, the way the team is, is, you know, worked around their centermen. Maybe they don't like, like little things like that. I'm kind of pulling random uh, uh, thoughts here, but like this team was built by a different person and a guy with a different view. Uh, and and clearly a lot of players were brought in to suit the coach that he had. Like they got to get their fingerprints on the team. So it's interesting when Ann Lauer is talking about that. I like, uh, he, he got the question about the, the fire DJ chance as well. And he did a little smirk and said, yeah, it was 30 fans in section 323. I love that part of the quote too, because yeah, it was still a, a big chant and angst has never been higher. And like, yeah, it's, it's really early in his ownership for this to happen, but that's a great mentality because yeah, you can't, if you react off of a couple fans on Twitter or a couple fans here, you're not staying true to what probably brought you success in Hamilton or brought you success in other places. Like I'd have to do the research. I didn't check, but I don't know how good the Bulldogs were in 2015 when they took over. Um, but or 2016 or whatever it was, but they obviously turned into one of the best teams in, in, you know, the Canadian hockey league in the CHL and all of CHL. So to me, like, I'm not trying to just compare OHL to NHL because it's, it's apples to oranges, but I, I think the management style and the style, the managing of people, which was a little bit brought to light here with Michael does Otto's interview on spit and chiclets. Like the Sens were garbage at that for years uh, under Pierre Dorian. So and, and Danny, I, I know it does sound like optimism, but just hearing Ann Lauer talk, just it kind of snaps me out of it because, yeah, like tonight they could like lay an egg and just look like a terrible team again. And then we're back to this inconsistent play. But I'm just so confident in the people running the show now, much more so than before. Like we for for eight years, man, like it was it was Pierre Dorian running the ship. And I'm not going to kick a guy when he's not when he's not here anymore. He was let go. We're on to the next thing here. But as a fan, it's just, it's so unique to have the same GM for so long. You get used to tendencies, you get used to reactionary moves like Michael Dell's auto being sent down as an example, uh, because the players like him, like that's ridiculous. We'll get into that in a second here, but, um, like you just get used to a management style. So I think as fans, maybe it's going to take a little bit to get used to Ann Lauer's ownership style. Right. And I love it though. I just, I liked the, um, the, 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 it did, it did feel like he he's aware and he has a pulse on the team, which is so, you know, we, as fans, everyone's got a pulse on this team and you got your opinions and things, but I think it's fair to say that under Melnick and especially in the, the last decade or so of his ownership, he didn't have a good pulse on the franchise or on the city or whatever. And hearing Ann Lauer say, we got to work out what's best for our fans, for the arena, what's what the politicians in Ottawa want, um, which I kind of roll my eyes at a little bit, but it's so important when you're trying to, make a deal with a government run city, uh, like all of the stuff that goes into that. So every time Michael Anlauer speaks, we are in the best possible hands for this to happen. It's just a really strange, um, 
start to the season. So I I'm leaving his, it wasn't even a press conference, just a little scrum, but I'm leaving that scrum at the board of governors meeting. Just, just feeling very good about the, the future of this team um, in the short and long term. to be honest. Yeah. I think that's the big thing too. And we talk about like optimism and, and frankly, like uh, I've definitely been more pessimistic, but I can also admit that I think um, there's a big picture sort of thing here that you have to realize, like when it comes to the big picture and the long term, I'm absolutely optimistic because I feel like Michael Anlauer, like he's got a fantastic grip. I love the word pulse. That's a great word to use uh, pulse on this team. Like he's just got the grip on it. He knows he's looking at things from the fans perspective. We've already seen moves that are kind of in support of that. So um, I'm with you on that. And in the big picture, I'm very optimistic too. That's something I've been trying to get across is that like long-term I'm very confident in the players. I'm confident in the core. I'm confident in the ownership much more than I was, you know, two years ago or even a year ago. So that's a big thing for me. It's just like the right now, it, it, it's hard to look big picture for sense fans. I think more than almost any other fan base other than like Buffalo, because they've been in a rebuild forever. Like for Ottawa, it's tough because it's been, you know, six, seven years of people saying, you know, look at the future. Right. And so now it's true because we have a totally different owner. It's a unique situation. But it's still hard, and I, I completely acknowledge that with people. It's hard to look past the right now because it's like, even for me, it, like, I can't imagine another year with no playoffs. Like, uh, it's been so long. I mean, I started Everyday Sends in 2017 in the summer after they made the playoffs, and I was expecting them to be a, a Stanley Cup contender that next year. And it's been six, seven years of just, like, miss, miss, like, let down, let down, let down on the ice, off the ice. Now we finally have some structure off the ice with the on-ice product. Like, where are you? Like, we're, we're waiting, right? Like, we need that to catch up, too. So I'm definitely – it's just the short-term versus long-term thing. Uh, but Michael Anlauer definitely instills confidence in me. He's, like, he's been one of the most – like best owners so far i still look back at his first press conference where he just like called the league out the things he said about the dadnov situation like i have not heard an owner say stuff like that where they're almost like attacking the league and gary bettman it's just so bold and i love hearing that so very optimistic long term one more quote and i'll leave it at this then i want to hear you just mention a couple things about del Zotto because that was interesting i know you read some stuff on it um so the last quote from anlauer too he was asked about evaluating the season to date he said there's some areas of improvement. We're making notes. It's so early in the season. I'll leave it at that, which to me just says like everybody kind of needs to be aware of themselves because like I will make changes if it comes to that. Um, I, I mean, it's just kind of him acknowledging the fact that, yeah, things haven't been very good. It, you know, things are going to have to improve, but it is early. He's not going to make any rash moves. So very confident in the long term, but I'll let you take it from there. And, and just to that quickly, like, like I mentioned this last episode, the, they're right now just going to hit the quarter mark today or, or next game, whatever you want to call it, like halfway through next game. Um, that, that is, is a mid November timeframe. Like I think most teams played game 20 around November 16, 17, 18th around then. Like that's, that's the way the schedule worked. It's just the Sens aren't playing. So technically we're in mid November right now. And if you look at it from that perspective, I understand the patience, um, Still frustrating, but again, yeah, the, the long-term outlook. So let's go to something that actually happened about two years ago today. Um, Michael Delzato being sent down after the whole contract. So quickly, and I'm pretty sure fans are aware of Delzato's tenure here in Ottawa. It was very strange. Summer 2021, they bring in Pierre Maguire and almost immediately in free agency, they sign uh, Michael Delzato to a two-year Two million per contract, like a not a backbreaking deal by any means. Although they ended up making it one, but um, one that was was I I uh, popping or turned heads because, and I'm sure Delzato snatched it up right away because he wasn't getting offered that anywhere else or close to. So this is one of those moves I think that the Sens would have 
justified as like a, a veteran guy to bring in whatever. But I think Delzato was one of the first um, examples or maybe not one of the first, but one of the only examples of DJ and Pierre just not seeing eye to eye. Like, and I'm not even talking about Pierre Dorian. Maybe I think this was a Maguire move from all reports, but um, anyway, Delzato was then bought out the next summer. He got sent down 20 games into his, his tenure here in Ottawa or whatever it was, despite his uh, decently strong numbers. So he got sent down and then bought out the next summer and he was gone. So like his dead money still on the books right now. There we go. Michael Delzato. Yeah. So on Spit and Chicklets, he went on. He's a great interview. He was a great guy. He always he was always a, a pretty entertaining interview when he was here for the brief time. From what I remember, like just a, a real um, locker room teammate. Had a great career early too. Offensive defenseman. Um, he wasn't good here in Ottawa. Like he wasn't good. It was a bad hockey team. However, with this new context, it was kind of implied, I think, when it happened. But hearing him actually say it in the, in the tone in which he uses. So I encourage people, I, I posted a, a little clip on my Twitter, um, but go watch the interview with Spit and Chicklets. It's actually a great interview. It gives really good insight about uh, players in, in New York City, John Tortorella. It's awesome. Um, what he said about Ottawa, and he said a little, a few other things just about like the food and stuff, but that was under Melnick. So I feel like that's kind of a moot point now. But the thing that stood out to me, which I tweeted was when he was sent down, the Sens... And he didn't mention names, but this is Dorian and I'm assuming DJ, but I'm going to, I think this is more on Dorian than DJ. Delzato said that they brought him in and said, or they sent him down at the end of the year at his end of year meeting before he was bought out. They told him, um, we sent you down as a scapegoat because you're a well-liked teammate and the team needed a wake up call. So this is kind of, I think this is really timely. Okay. Because for a couple seasons, and this was the same year that Matt Murray was sent down around the same time down to Belleville. Uh, was, that was, that was in 2021, I believe, um, December, 2021. So this was when things were, were like, it, it was all over the place for the Sens, Right. So this is the thing I'm talking about reactionary moves. Like it, it's so easy as a fan to be like, Oh, cut Travis Hamnick or, you know, uh, do, do this, like call up this guy and send this guy down, trade this guy, put him on waivers, buy him out it's not, it's not EA sports here, you know? And I think what this Delzato thing did and with this new management, not doing a thing yet, it, it just really hammers home the, the, the aspect of hockey managing and coaching that we all take for granted. And even if you think you don't, you do until you're in it. Like we even just talking about it, we still take for granted how important it is. The managing of people is 50% of the job. And that was the first thing Steos mentioned when they alluded to their success in Hamilton it's because they managed people and brought in good people. So I think there's a tie in with the patience of this new regime. What Ann Lauer said, we're evaluating everything and the snap call to send a guy on waivers that you signed like three months ago to a two year deal who wasn't the problem. It was just a issue an issue. Um, it just really points to how dysfunctional the sends were in the past. And this isn't like a, like a decade ago. This was two seasons ago. Like all the new guys were still here. All the young guys that are on the team right now are still there. Um, I found it wild. I really did. Delzato was, listen, like he's a, he's a great guy. He's fun. But like the food stuff I was talking about, he was kind of just complaining about the, the, the quality of what they were served after games and compared to like the Rangers and stuff like that. I rolled my eyes at that. I didn't clip that. Cause it was just, I mean, you're in the NHL, like you'll survive kind of thing. And he was, he'd been to a lot of other cities. So this was just crazy to me because it's just a, a blatant, uh, 
example and another example of the mismanagement of people that the Sens went through under Pierre Dorian and Eugene Melnick. And it was pretty, uh, pretty eye-opening. Yeah, there's been a lot of players who have kind of come out and said stuff about like Ottawa too back in the day and under Melnick and the crazy stories of Melnick, like the things he did back in those playoff runs too. And then there's there's all sorts. I mean, but like you said, this is recent, so it's a little bit different. Um, I don't even have that much on Del Zotto. I just want to add this crazy, funny arc for him that uh, that happened a little while ago. So I posted a, a picture on Instagram not too long ago. Uh, and it was, when was this? This was back in uh, April, actually. So it was a while ago. Um, but it was DJ Smith. It was a poll of if he should be fired or not 85 percent of fans said yes he should be fired this was in april and michael delzato liked that picture so it's just like this petty little little thing for you know he's clearly got this this grudge against him but i think a lot of players kind of have the same sort of thoughts they didn't enjoy their time in ottawa back with old ownership do you have something to add to that i will say yeah because i posted it and people are saying oh it's on dj it's dj like from everything we've heard dj is a great players coach so i'm not gonna I don't, I think Delzato just didn't like him because of the situation. Like I think Tyler Ennis butted heads with DJ a bit because he was scratched. Like I'm sure Dylan Gambrell doesn't love him and McEwen's probably not a fan. Like if you get scratched, no matter who the coach is, you're going to be pissed. You're going to be sour. You're a pro athlete. You like to go out and compete. So that's what I read into that DJ stuff. Um, but like, I think it's, it's just the man, like the, like coaches don't send players down. Uh, but like it was just it was a dif- dysfunctional mess man it was it really was so uh really interesting to hear and, and again it was a great interview like it's just checklist is just dynamite for their interviews with players the insight they get and uh those photos he, he's a funny guy like some of the stories he had was pretty good yeah for sure and, and other than that i mean i know you said you had to wrap up a little bit early today so um other than that like I, we've got 15 minutes until well the anthems i guess i hate saying puck drop because they always delay it by 10 minutes and it's 5 10 for me 7 10 for you so uh, other than that yeah i think we're, we've hit on a lot of topics here i think we've got some good engagement in the chat and yeah like the the kind of summary of our our pod today is that long term things are very optimistic for ottawa the ownership is stable they acknowledge the fact that things have not been great this year on the ice uh we're confident tonight like chance to prove it right it's a prove it game the next four games are at, uh gonna be before their five game road trip uh the next four games are gonna be super hard but also like i think it's a good thing because if you can come out and beat those good teams uh you've got a chance to kind of prove to the league that you're serious and prove to Sens fans that you're not a joke as was seen in the first two months so start it tonight you were shesterkin in that 18-4 and one new york rangers what better game to prove yourselves as a 9-10 and 10 team, get back to 500, and then Toronto on uh, on Thursday will be a huge game too. So, yeah, other than that, that's uh, that's pretty much what we got today. Quick note before we send everyone away here. The last time these two teams played, just over a year ago, Jacob Truba, Brady Kachuk squared off at center ice. Brady Kachuk, probably his best game of They've his had career. Some great games against each other. They, I was gonna say, they don't play boring games. They had a game two seasons ago with with Del Zotto, like that that year, where the Sens played really well, and then there were a couple bad calls. The Rangers storm back and win, uh, get three goals in the in the third period, and like ruin that one. So like these teams don't play boring games, is my point. And like it's been a pretty good rivalry actually since 2012, I think 20 uh, 2017 playoff series too. Like the Rangers are are an original six team. They've got three straight games here against original six franchises. Like that doesn't mean nothing in hockey to me. So um, expect a good one tonight. I think I expect the Sens to bring their A game. I am, let's do a score prediction quickly before we go here. I am going to say, I think the Rangers win this one, but I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a good game. It'll be more, more painful when the Sens eventually end up losing. In my opinion, I think it'll be, I'm going to go three, two New York in regulation. Three, two. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to say four, three Ottawa in overtime. Oh, 
Okay, yeah. so the difference that we've got there, their score, the Sens are going to score a six on five goal for you, and I don't think they sure. will. That's my that's my uh, <laughs> my skepticism. So we thank everyone for watching us here. Another edition, Everyday Sens podcast, a live stream edition. Remember to like the YouTube video, please comment along again. Like even if you're watching after, just throw your thoughts in. Um, we really appreciate it. Subscribing to the YouTube page goes a long way as well. We're on the road to two thousand. I don't know, man. Like hopefully when these games start going again, we can do more of these because we complain about the schedule, but it was also tough for us. Uh, just just getting into a groove with the games and everything like that. So we're hoping to get back on track a little bit with these pregames because they're fun to do. So that's been it for the Everyday Sense podcast. A reminder to subscribe again. And thank you everyone for watching. We'll see you all next time.